Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Dr. Benta uh, Abuya. I am a research scientist at the African Population and Health Research Center, which is headquartered in Nairobi, Kenya. So I was born in Kericho, uh, a town, a, a nice green leafy town in the Rift Valley. Um, Kericho is well known for tea growing. So, so for someone who has been uh, passing across that route, you'll be able to see a lot of tea plantations. And the reason why, of course, I was born there is my, my dad, my late dad, had been working in one of the tea companies uh, that is uh, based in Kericho. Uh, I was born in a family of nine, and I am the firstborn girl, and the firstborn overall in, this, in our family. And uh, being a firstborn, um, you find yourself... Uh, yourself um, like almost as a sister sort of to your mom uh, in the sense that uh, a lot of responsibilities do fall on you as a firstborn but you also find yourself like sort of co-parenting the other siblings the younger siblings with your parents so you become more of a friend more of a colleague to your parents and particularly to to my mom Um, so, like I've mentioned, I was born in Kericho, so a lot of my early childhood years were spent in Kericho. Uh, I also went to primary school, still within one of the public uh, primary schools within one of the T estates. At that particular point in time, my father was working at a T estate called Tagabi uh, Factory. And um, in all those T estates, there were always public schools. So I went to Tagabi Primary School right from uh, class one all the way to class seven. Uh, that's when, and that is the same school that I, I also did my Kenya Certificate of Education. Um, after Tagabi uh, in class seven, and unfortunately in my last year of primary school, that's when I lost my father. So uh, going into form one, uh, my father was uh, absent because he had he had passed away in, when I was in class seven. But after Tagabi Primary School, then I was admitted to the Alliance Girls High School in Kikuyu. Uh, Alliance is uh, in Kikuyu in central Kenya. And uh, at Alliance, I did my four years of uh, secondary education. Uh, when I did my Kenya Certificate of uh, uh, secondary education. Then I was admitted for A-levels, that is to go and do form five and six at Moy Girls High School in Eldoret. Uh, so my four years 
Um, my seven years were spent within the Rift Valley as a young student. Then I came into central Kenya in Kikuyu to Alliance Girls High School and then back four years um, to Moi Girls uh, High School in Eldoret, back to the Rift Valley. So I, I can say that um, I have been one person who has been born, bred, you know, and lived within the cosmopolitan areas of the Rift, the greater Rift Valley and um, the greater uh, Kiambu and central Kenya. So I also um, have a, a quite a, a liberal outlook to life because I have interacted in my school life, in my early school life with a, a lot of people across this country. Yes, um, after Moy Girls High School in Eldoret, then I got the chance again. It, I don't know whether that was a coincidence, uh, but I was admitted for a bachelor's education degree at Moy University, Eldoret still, the main campus. Um, I spent my um, undergraduate years there and I graduated uh, in 1990 with a bachelor education degree. Um, then... From there, I worked a little bit. Of course, when you are a teacher in, in, in them days, it was um, uh, very, I would not say easy, but it, it was very important that um, the government also posts you to a secondary school. So I was posted to a secondary school. I taught for a couple of years. Um, and then while, while teaching, then I, I thought to myself that perhaps uh, I should do more you know, beyond uh, being a teacher in the classroom. And so I enrolled for my master's degree at the University of Nairobi. Um, at the University of Nairobi, I studied um, a master's degree in population studies at the Institute of Population uh, Studies at the University of Nairobi. Uh, that gave me sort of the eye opener because at that particular point in time, when you are uh, teaching with an education degree, and when you start looking at issues of population, then it sort of gave me the, the start off of trying to link the issues of education to the general population agenda. And because I was a girl, also looking at some of the issues that were I was seeing in the classroom, for instance, um, like um, when you're a girl and you, you see a few challenges that girls experience and you are teaching them and you listen to them, then I began to also sow the early seeds of saying, maybe this is the path. I need to go this path and I need to link some of these education issues to uh, population issues. Now, that got me thinking. So way down my as, as I was still teaching, um, I thought then to myself after getting my master's degree, maybe this is not enough. Maybe I need to get myself to a level where and I then can be able to talk more about these issues, to advocate about the issues I was seeing. And a chance arose uh, uh, when I saw an advert for the Ford Foundation um, for the International Fellowships Program. And they were looking for people interested in studying different sectors from education to social justice to, you know, a variety of things. But for me, I was still interested in this link between education and population. And so I applied to go and do a PhD at the Pennsylvania State University uh, funded by the Ford Foundation. Uh, to, to study education, theory, and policy. Um, so that's how I found myself at the uh, Penn State. And in Penn State, uh, it gave me, the, the school gave me an opportunity because there were interdisciplinary programs where that desire that I'd, I had had for a very long time to link my population is issues and 
to my education context and having been a teacher, then I got that opportunity to do that. And so I was able to look at issues that affect girls' education, but also link them to reproductive health uh, outcomes, but also look at how, on one hand, education affects uh, uh, health and especially sexual reproductive health, health outcomes of adolescents, but also look at um, how um, sexual and reproductive health of adolescents actually can affect education. And so I, that is how I did my, my PhD. And, and my, my thesis was, was titled Challenges that Affect um, Girls' Education in the Context of Nairobi, Kenya, trying to link those two issues. So I would say that began um, at a very early age, Hezron. And I say that because, you know, these things just don't, you just don't start them when you start, when you have grown up. So I would say that when my father was still working in Kericho, he was a mechanical engineer in one of the factories. And as an engineer, he, he also saw things from a very scientific point of view. And listening to him across time, um, I was sort of convinced that perhaps it's also interesting to venture into to do certain things that are scientific because then you are able to, to influence your community more. So listening to my dad, that, that also sowed in the early seeds. But I would also say that... Um, when I went to high school, for instance, um, interacting with my teachers, uh, and I would say at Alliance Girls High School, that was a school that you know gave you values, but also gave you other skills that you could be able to survive on. But more so, looking at the teachers and seeing what they were able to do, and 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 sort of also being in the some of the science classes, also you know triggered some thoughtfulness of you know maybe this is where I would need to go. But at the end of the day, I, I would say that I think the first path that I thought towards that science came through the teaching profession because I'd, I'd seen the profound impact that the teachers had had on my own life. You know, a teacher is the next like sort of parent when you're in school. And for me, who had lost my parent going into Form 1, I think my teachers had a very profound effect on, on what I became. So even as I started off as a teacher, a teacher of geography, uh, geography has also elements of science. I knew that there was there, there was at one point in my life that that was going to lead me somewhere. So I, that influence of, of, from my teachers was also important. Um, but then I would not do justice if I didn't mention that my mom um, was also one resilient mother. And as a resilient mother, maybe not as much with much of an education like I have today, but she was always this person who was motivating you to be able to follow your dream. So if you told her, you know, I would really want to be this kind of person in future, she would tell you, you know, you follow your dream. Um, there, there may be challenges along the way, but uh, challenges aside, you should be able to get to where you are going. And I, I say looking back, and uh, thanks thanks to God, my, my, mom, my mother is still around and I mean, today she keeps asking me, and when we when we have our sort of uh, discussions, um, she says that you know, you followed your dream, and I'm glad that you actually made it to where you wanted to be because I think you the path was very long, and you were always very uncertain, particularly in those difficult years when we did not have um, uh, much after our father passed away. But I, I, we believe that um, that motivation from my mom, you know, made it. Uh, but overall, I would also say that being a girl 
and having gone through the personal life that I went through, uh, being having been able to pass through the challenges that I did, I, I also sort of thought that um, I should follow this science path so that I can be able to have an opportunity and a platform to advocate for girls and by extension for women who may not have been as lucky as myself to be able to be at this level so that you can be able to advocate. So I, I also, you know, the fact that I, I, I taught a lot of young girls in my early life as a teacher and listening to those experiences really, you know, as a teacher really also catapulted me to be able to say, I think this is not enough to just be in the classroom, but I think that I need to push this lever uh, higher up so that I can be able to uh, advocate more. But listening to our some of our people, I was also challenged and I continue to be challenged by our, the late Mwangari Madai and her belief and her passion in, time, in, in times of driving the change, in terms of um, ensuring that our country remains green. So that's one lady who also, you know, was my uh, mentor, uh, you know, although, although from afar, always watching her and always seeing the impact that she had on our Kenyan society. And of course, driven by icons, uh, thoughts about on icons like Nelson Mandela, who always believed that education is the best thing that you can offer a child. And so, uh, you know, listening to some of, of these people and looking back at my life, I was actually challenged to be able to say, I can make it, I can do it. And I think that uh, looking back, I say that it's good that I was able to follow that path. Yes, uh, it's good to have a mentor. Um, at the University of Nairobi, I had two mentors. Uh, you know, when you go for a master's degree, um, you you are attached to professors and sometimes they teach you coursework, but sometimes they are also those professors who, you know, by virtue of what they, they have studied and by virtue of your interest, sort of your interests match. And so at the University of Nairobi, I'm, I'm forever grateful to Dr. Kasahala uh, at the Population uh, Research Institute and Dr. Utieno Agwanda um, because one, I think their research resonated very well with what I did at that particular point in time, because I was looking at uh, the impact of mother's education on child health. Uh, the two have done a lot of work in child health, and so I followed in their foot, footsteps, but also they they had, they had provided a lot of feedback on my work. Uh, and I'm glad they're still at the University of Nairobi, and uh, a few times, you know, uh, when I talk to them, I still feel like that impact lives on. Uh, at uh, Penn State, uh, in the United States, I had um, an advisor uh, with the name Professor Mindy Conhaber. So when I got to Penn State in um, in 2006, I was attached to my professor, uh, and I think that having someone who who follows your track, but also who listens to your aspirations, but who is also there to support your interests, it's not their interests. It is your interest they're trying to support is actually very important because then you have somebody who models the way. You know, mentorship is about modeling. It's about supporting people to attain their career goals. It's about um, uh, supporting people in their, even in their life aspirations. And I must say that along the way, those three uh, people and, and many others that I may not be able to mention today have been able to support me in uh, in modeling the way, 
in terms of my career. And that has also um, impacted on me a lot in terms of when I work with people. So at, at the African Population and Health Research Center, I work with scientists, other scientists at different levels, at, at the associate research scientist level, at the research officer level. At research officer level, those are people who have masters. At the associate research scientist level, those are people who have earned their degrees and, and they are two years into their postdoctoral fellowship. Uh, at uh, postdoctoral research scientist level that I work with uh, are people who are, are just coming out of getting their PhDs. And it's important so that you can model the way. Now, um, so I mentor them in the sense that when you get to the center, you may not be able to, you need somebody to actually ch uh, chart your path. If you're a postdoc, for instance, you need somebody to actually chart your path and be able to tell you that this is the, this is the journey and this is how this journey can pan out at the center. So you need to pay attention, for instance, to your publications. If you're a postdoctoral fellow, you need to pay attention to program manage, progr project management. You need to pay attention to your fundraising so that after, after two years, then you are able to get to the next level where you can now be an, an associate research scientist or what we sometimes call an ARS at the center. So an ARS then, you need to also work with them so that they can build their niche. You know, somebody will come with a, a research agenda with a PhD thesis that they wrote, but that PhD thesis, there are so many other ideas that could come out of that. And because the center offers an opportunity for researchers to be able to work up, uh, within several research units. For instance, you can work in education, you can work in health systems for health, you can work in maternal and child health, you can work in urbanization and well-being, and you can work in aging. So you, you need then to work with researchers to be able to uh, see where their niche falls and where their interests fall beyond the having attained the PhD. And so working with them means you model the way, but you also listen to their aspirations, but you also support them in trying to achieve the career goals. Now, when we come to the research, and, uh, research officers, sorry, research officers have the master's degree and most of them are, are the go-to people when we are uh, implementing projects because they, they coordinate a lot of project implementation in the field in terms of data collection and uh, of other things that go with that. Uh, but at a master's level, this is a... This is somebody who is now looking to get to the next level of getting a PhD. So they also really do need that mentorship in terms of how do they move from running projects to being able to craft a PhD proposal and be able to think through uh, what a research idea could be and then get, uh, get themselves in a position of being able to write that idea so that it can be shared with the potential um, advisor potential school where they are hoping to go and get their PhD. And those are also people who really need um, people, strong scientists and people who have gone through that same path that can be able to show them this is how you begin, how you conceptualize an idea, how you make that idea strong, but then how you also ensure that when you get into the PhD program, this is the route that you need to take so that you can finish your PhD in a record time. So yes, I would reiterate that mentorship is very important. It got me to where I am. And then it's my duty to give back to uh, the other scientists so that they can get to where I have gotten to. Uh, my first job. So when I got out of Moi University as a bachelor, with a bachelor's degree, 
the, those days when we went to school, um, the teacher service commission would uh, post you to a school. So that's how I got I got a, a teaching. I was a, a secondary teacher, um, a high school teacher uh, in one of the first school that I was posted to. And uh, just for information, if at all, to help, uh, I was first posted to a school, Miranda High School, which is um, way back, uh, way down in Siaya. I think uh, it's in that town is Bondo. Um, Miranda is a national school, and uh, I think teach, it was a boys' school. So teaching boys for the first time when you've been posted as a young person coming out of college was um, interesting on one hand, but also it was... Um, you know, an eye opener on another on another hand, because you get to deal with boys, see the characteristics of what they exposed, but also, you know, there 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 were people also who are willing to learn. At Miranda, we ran a, we were having a tropical timetable because it's of the heat. At some points in the year, it's very hot, so you don't start lessons at eight the way you'd start them in Nairobi. You'd, you start them way 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 below before seven, around seven, so that by the time it's two o'clock. You're almost almost done with your nine lessons because of the heat in the afternoon. Um, I've not been there lately, but I, I, I'm not sure whether the heat is still as much as it was then. So that's how I got my first job. So I taught for some time, left and went into other high schools all the way until coming very close to to uh, coming into Nairobi to teach in Nairobi. And while teaching in Nairobi is, you know, I think I've gone through the path of how I. I went into my sec- my master's and my PhD. And so when I went for my PhD, then I was also working as a graduate assistant because most PhD students work as a, a graduate assistant when you support your professor uh, to co-teach classes. So I would co-teach uh, classes, undergraduate classes at uh, Penn State, Pennsylvania State University. Um, and then towards the end of my PhD, then I started applying for other jobs and Lucky enough, I got several offers, but but because I was also interested in coming back home, um, I chose the, the one I got, the postdoctoral fellowship that I got at the center, the African Population and Health Research Center, where I started off in, in 2010 as a postdoctoral fellow. So since then, I've risen through the ranks to now become a, a research scientist that I am today. Um, and so that's how I... I've managed to go through the the job market up to up to this point in time. Yes, so so currently I lead um, I lead um, a research program uh, in our urban informal settlements in Nairobi. Uh, it's called Advancing Learning Outcomes and Transformation for Change. Um, this research we started it off in 2013. Uh, with girls because we were interested in looking at um, ensuring that girls make a transition to secondary school. Um, and then we, in 2015, listening to, uh, first seeing the successes of the program, because by that particular time we had seen that we could actually ensure that a, a couple of girls would make a transition to secondary school, then we were we were persuaded to be able to say, and of course with the help of the, of our donor, to be able to say that we can continue it in 2016. But when we continued it in 2016, we were also challenged with a couple of things. One, we were also um, interacting with our communities and, and being told about what about the boys. Sometimes, you know, we program for girls, 
but then at that particular point in time, so we were being asked, what about the boys? But one other thing that also um, was challenging us way back around 2015 was that when the Kenya Certificate of Secondary Education results were released, then the boys were not doing very well, particularly in English. I remember the Minister of Education then, you know, talked about the fact that boys are being left behind in some of the subjects, even though they are good in others like maths. Uh, but at the same time, the community was also, the, the communities in which we worked were also beginning to ask us about um, if we if we only work with girls uh, in this program, won't the boys be left behind? So those were some of the things we were beginning to see. But then we were also listening to the global narratives, which were also beginning to say, pro- people who are working with girls and programming for girls were beginning to say, Yes, it's good to program for girls, but then um, evidence was also beginning to be to show that when you when you also bring boys into uh, girls' programs, or when you include them as you program for girls, and uh, when you also include uh, men when you program for girls, then you get better results. And and so in 2016, we were then persuaded to be able to say, I th- we think that we should be able to bring um, boys on board. And so we brought boys on board. So in between 2013 and 2015, for instance, which we call our phase one, we worked with about 1271 adolescents who are basically girls. Between 2016 and 2018, our phase two, we worked with about 824 adolescents, both girls and boys, because at that particular point in time, we had now been persuaded for the reasons that I have given to actually bring boys on board. And maybe at this point, I may, I may need to mention that uh, the successes you see when you bring when you work with boys and men alongside girls' programs is because boys are their peers and boys become future fathers. Now, as peers, boys sometimes are the ones who, you know, get entangled with some of the issues that affect eventually affect girls, like teenage pregnancy. Now, it's important then that the boys be, be, begin to also listen and look at the girls as somewhat their, their sisters and their peers who they should also be able to support their education if in future they also want a society where women are educated. But for also for the men, they also need to, to be able to, to learn why it is important to program for girls because they hold the power in the communities and because uh, in our communities, most of them, they are pattern, paternalistic. And therefore, if men within the communities also are challenged to be able to say it's important to have girls go to school, then you have better gains. So our boys stayed in phase two. Now in phase three, which is, which is running from 2019 all the way to 2022, we are now following the 824 adolescents who we started with in class six. And now they're in secondary school, grade form two. And we hope that by next year, uh, when we when we exit, then they will have been able to acquire the necessary skills that um, is, is necessary. So I would say that in running this program, we have had uh, um, uh, elements of mentoring in life skills for both adolescent girls and boys now, but we also had elements of supporting you know, providing safe spaces where the children can come and do homework. As we know that in our urban informal settlements, sometimes there is even no space 
or the households are very small. And so when you have community spaces, churches, uh, or even the chiefs camps, they can be able to go there and, and, and get a space and, and just do the homework they've been given. But we also instituted a parental counseling and support groups so that parents could actually share their experiences. Now, our, our needs assessment, as we started the program way back in 2013, had shown us that sometimes parents even did not have an idea how to support their children. It, it was worse with COVID-19, and uh, even from another study with, of, that we nested on this one uh, to get insights into COVID-19, we realized that uh, groups of parents, some of them did not even know how to support their children, but some of them did not even know what it means to be able to, now that schools are closed, be able to stay in the households and support kids. And then we also said, um, when we have these children attain a certain mark, particularly when they were still in primary school, then uh, we would give them a subsidy, a subsidy that would enable parents to buy uniform, <clears throat> to buy boxes and uh, maybe socks and some books to be able to go to go into uh, secondary school. And, and of course, in, in, in running this intervention, then we, we engaged mentors and counselors. These mentors were young people within these respective communities. Uh, and... Um, the counselors are also within the respective communities. So uh, we, we, we have actually used community resources in this, in this and, and that has enabled us to be able to say that we can eventually sustain uh, this. Um, I, I would say at this point that because you also asked what, what bene benefits that could get or you know how, what happens after this. So what we have seen in, our, in, in this program that has been there for the last seven years is that we have trained young people who are resilient in and can be able to withstand peer pressure. And we have also seen um, girls and boys who can be able to speak up for themselves. You know, you, you develop those skills that you can be able to speak up so that when, when things come or when people challenge you, especially for the girls, then you can be able to, to speak up and say uh, no to some of the negative uh, influences within our slums. Now, on parents, uh, because of the parental support groups and counseling that we did, uh, parents have improved in terms of their communication skills. But uh, also, a lot of these parents have also embraced what we call positive parenting. Uh, a lot of them did not even know how to communicate with their children. They did not. They, they thought that you know you beat a child and that is how they learn. But within the within time and talking to them in support groups and them sharing experiences of parenting then it's, it's become very easy for parents to now know that the cane is not the, the final uh, end to everything, but that you can actually communicate, you can bond with your child, you can actually talk to this child, and you can also have a positive way of parenting rather than always being harsh and using the cane. Uh, but we also saw uh, parents becoming more knowledgeable in terms of building the confidence to discuss those very difficult topics. You know, there are topics like fathers cannot discuss with their young daughters, like menstruation, or when a child gets pregnant, then parents find it very difficult to open up those conversation lines. Um, this program has been able to do that. And so in, in, um, in Nairobi, that is, that is one big program that I've led, but I've also been involved in supporting and working with my colleagues in our Education and Youth Empowerment Unit to be able to um, 
implement some other programs like the quality and access to education, one of our very big flagship programs that uh, in, uh, we did in 2012-2013, but more so also um, supporting other education programs. Now, because of the successes of this program that I've said in the urban informal settlements in Nairobi, we also sought to sort of replicate this in West Africa. And that's why I said that one of the other projects um, that we started in 2019, uh, ending sometime this year, um, has also been trying to improve education outcomes and well-being for girls in West Africa. And we... We were very privileged to be able to start this because then we wanted to see whether the lessons learned and the successes that were, have been achieved in the Eastern African region can actually be replicated in the West African region. And we, we have sort of uh, almost coming to the final phases where we are seeing that the challenges are actually similar when you look at adolescent girls. Challenges in the context of Senegal are almost similar to, to what we see in, in, in East Af Eastern Africa. For instance, when you talk about issues of teenage pregnancy, when you talk about issues of early marriage, but also when you talk about issues of financial difficulties and the fact that parents seldom do want to get involved with their children's education or supporting their children's education. Those are aspects that we, we, we have been able to see. But of course, in the context of West Africa, we've also been able to see a lot of, in some, some of the regions, a lot of female genital cutting um, that, of course, is driven by uh, the cultural aspects of some of the communities that live in those regions. Um, I would say that in our, unlike, unlike uh, Senegal, in our, in our urban informal settlements in Nairobi, we haven't seen a lot of FGC, but um, I think some of those things would, would require maybe a bigger a uh, more extrapolated study across the country to be able to also unearth some of that. So in a nutshell, um, that is what I have led so far. And I think this, we have had quite some great success in terms of the transition to secondary school, but it, in terms of also building uh, a youth who can then be able to acquire leadership skills to, to, to then transform their different communities and also building champions I would say champions both as young people but also as parents within the urban informal settlement so that they can be able to work with their other communities and to be able to enlighten them why there is need to support uh, their children's education when it comes to parents, but why it's also important to withstand peer pressure if it's for the young people, both the boys and the girls. Um, as a woman in science, I would say my path well, the challenges may not may not be uh, because I'm a woman. Uh, I think uh, I would say at the center we are given there's equal opportunity, and um, uh, you you have the opportunity to raise your funds, you have the opportunity to express your ideas, you have the opportunity to build your concepts and your research niche, whether you are a male scientist or whether you are a female scientist. I think some of those challenges that would come if it's inadequate funding or you are not able to fund your work. May, may be beyond the, just the, fa the mere fact of um, being uh, male or female. So I would not uh, be able to say that uh, it's because of uh, being male or being female. But, but, but then having said that, um, as a researcher, I, I, I am proud to say that, you know, when you are in a position to, to 
be part of implementing innovative solutions to address the issues uh, in your work, then that becomes, um, you know, one of the highs. Uh, and in this case, I would say, you know, having been at the center of trying to innovate to be able to, to solve the issues of transition for girls to secondary school uh, in the last seven going eight years, that in, my, in, in the sense has been a very high hallmark because I have seen transformation happen within the communities. I have seen uh, households within our urban informal settlements who had not thought that, you know, a girl could come out of that household and go to high school and then over to university. And so that to me has been one of the, the outstanding hallmarks. Um, the other one that I see is that having been able to um, create a situation whereby we can be able to, to ensure equitable education and lifelong learning for our children. And, and this I say because of uh, the aspect of bringing boys on board. You know, when you bring boys on board in the program, then you are sort of now saying that um, each child is important and therefore there is need for that equitable education. And that to me has also been very uh, outstanding, I would say. Uh, and the fact that we, I have, we have been able to also extend this work beyond East, East Africa to the West African region has also been outstanding. So that the, the lessons learned in the Eastern part of the region, uh, of Africa rather, can also benefit girls in, uh, in the West African side. That has been uh, quite outstanding. And I would also say that um, one of the other projects that I have gotten uh, involved in in the last, um, this is the fourth year, in the last three years particularly, where I was in charge of trying to, to work with um, about 70 organizations in, that are championing education in, in Eastern Africa. And this program was called the Regional Education Learning Initiative. I was able to see how different civil society organizations, government institutions, uh, advocates of education, uh, research institutions can actually collaboratively work together to be able to champion education of children, particularly those children who are farthest left behind. Now, that has also been a very high in my career. Uh, and um, I, I would also say that as a result of all this work, then I've been able to publish a lot. And uh, through publications, then you, you are able to, to speak about the work, you're able to advocate, you're, you're able to use those publications to be able to influence policy. That also is something that I would say it's been a it's been a very high on my end. Um, then the other high that I've had in my career is um, being an advocate for policy change in education. So when you when you when you generate all this evidence, one of the things you want to do with that evidence is to actually ensure that policymakers are able to use the evidence so that they can be able to change policy. Um, and I would say that. One of those programs that I, I was involved earlier, the quality and access to education in the urban informal settlements, had conversations that generated a lot of debates on key areas in the sector, including the provision of capitation grants for schools in the urban informal settlements. That in itself was also uh, quite um, an achievement. And so I would say the, the, the highs have been there, but there have also been lows. Um, but laws are not as a result, as I said, because of my gender. I think the laws are, as a researcher, you realize that um, sometimes it's, it's, it's very important for 
those research findings that you are working on to come out at the right time so that they can impact policy. If the findings do not come out in good time, then perhaps then the policymakers don't get to benefit from the policy findings that your research is uh, trying to look at. So as a researcher and, uh, and any advocate in education, then you need to be able to realize that policy windows open and they open and close very quickly. And, and, and then you need to also be able to look at what the government cares about in terms of education research. You need to also realize that uh, sometimes when those policy windows open, then you need to take advantage of the policy window and work with the policymakers to, to ensure that your, your research evidence gets traction with the policy environment. If you don't do that, then it means that your evidence then that takes time uh, for, for you to be able to open the policy window. And hopefully, uh, sometimes maybe that policy window takes long or maybe the, the priorities of government have changed because a lot of times those priorities also change. And I think uh, sometimes we also need to realize what the government really cares about. So even as a, as a researcher, uh, if, as we work, then our, our ears or antennas are always out to be able to say that uh, this is what the government cares about. And am I on the path of what the government cares about? Because then that is how you are uh, trying to help the government to be able to solve those solutions, to solve the issues that they have and provide solutions that that they, 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 they should be able to care about. Yeah. So as I said, my challenge has never been because I'm a woman or, a, uh, or not a man. I think um, my challenges are because what is it that I want to do with my research? But I think I've also attained a couple of very highs from uh, working at the center and trying to generate the research evidence and work uh, to have that evidence bear on policy and practice. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Um, we make mistakes all the time. Um, but I would, I would not say... I mean, if you asked me that question in a different way, that would I follow the same path I did follow? And probably I would tell you yes. Um, I, would say, I would say the mistakes along the way could have been not taking an opportunity here at, that, at, an, at one particular point in time, but uh, luckily finding that opportunity along the way. Uh, for instance, I would say maybe... Um, Sometimes I thought maybe I should have done my master's a little earlier. Immediately I, I left college. Uh, but then you also look at the situation in your life and you say, uh, if I go back to school again, what will, be, what will my mom do with the siblings? You know, you know like I, I did mention that as a firstborn, you become like a co-parent. And so some of those uh, issues that I was faced with, that, uh, you know, I wanted to do my master's early, immediately after undergraduate, but I, I thought to myself, maybe not. So perhaps that was a mistake. But then along the way, I think that the opportunity still came. I think that when the opportunity came, it was the right time. Uh, when you go to school and you're not, you are not um, going to school at uh, somebody else's expense. Because maybe if I did my master's at the time I wanted to, I would still be looking for funds from elsewhere to be able to fund my master's. And therefore, maybe my siblings and my mom would be struggling more. But I was then able to support them earlier in, in, in life after I finished uh, and, and I was working as a teacher and then do that master's a little later along the way uh, and still then have everybody sort of, you sort of balance out stuff. 
and so I would say that maybe for for those who whose circumstances are different, maybe that could have been considered as a mistake. But I think for me, it sort of turned out well, and it sort of balanced out the equation and uh, enabled me to also be able to support my siblings um, along the way with their primary or secondary education, because then that some of them were at a very critical point. Um, if I was to follow my science path again, I think uh, what I followed was the right one. Um, I would say that sometimes it's also good to go to graduate school when you are a little bit grown, when you have also worked a little bit. And I think programs, particularly in the U.S., uh, sort of encourage some work experience because I think then you can be able to bridge, bring in the experience of work and also um, uh, work life situations to bear on your studies because then you can also be able to relate to the examples and to the, the kind of uh, context that you are coming from. Uh, if I may give a, a specific example, now undertaking a, a dual title degree, that is a, a PhD one in comparative and international education and another PhD in education theory and policy um, would not have been easy if I was not, uh, if I had not been a teacher, for instance, because then I was able to bring about examples and mimic scenarios that are coming from the Kenyan uh, policy environment, but also I was able to look at issues from an inside-out perspective in terms of the fact that I had been a teacher before. And so uh, describing the Kenyan classrooms and trying to mimic scenarios and being able to formulate ideas and uh, a research agenda on the Kenyan context was easier because I, I, I had worked in it, I had been a teacher before, I had interacted with the, with, the, with the classroom before, I had interacted with the students before, and I'd also been working in the Kenyan context. I think sometimes it's also important to be able to have that. So for me, I think the path I, I, that did pan out for me would, would be a good one for somebody else. And I would encourage also then to your last part of the question, a young researcher. Yes, it's important that you can go through your science path but sometimes I think the job experience is important as such, uh, particularly uh, in the sense that then you are able to be able to link the job markets, what you are studying. And, and I believe that's the reason why most of our institutions of higher learning in the country uh, recommend internships. I think that is what internships are supposed to do so that you get a little bit of that, that work environment and then you can link to the study so that what you are theoretically learning in class actually makes sense when you look back and reflect back on your on your work experience. Well, I would say that mental health, um, I've not done research in that area, but from anecdotal evidence, uh, I would say that mental health is an issue. I know I have colleagues at the center who are, who, who are actually now trying to design programs to study mental health. And we, 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 were, we have also been thinking around it in terms of our beneficiaries in the slums. But from, from what I've read and from my uh, read around the, the research around mental health, I would say I would, I would strongly encourage that that is one area that even our government needs to focus on. Um, in the sense that, you know, lockdowns uh, bring about isolation and that isolation uh, impacts on people very differently. Um, you noticed, and we we and I've read this also in the research, but also listening to our media about the fact that domestic issues of domestic violence, you know, went up, 
but also issues of early teenage pregnancies went, went up. Now for adolescents, it's even more critical because then if they don't have um, avenues to express themselves, then that can be very critical. But also if you, if even as an adult, you don't have an avenue for expressing yourself, uh, it's, 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 very, it's very disastrous. And so I think it's one critical area that as a country, we really need to put in some resources to be able to do some very extensive work around mental health, but also support those institutions that are caring for the mental health um, uh, people who have those issues, because it's a real issue now, and more so with the, the current situation. You know, COVID-19 has brought about economic difficulties, but it has also brought about, you know, personal difficulties in terms of if you are, if you are isolated, working from home, for instance, and you are, you are not used to that before, you know, it means that you have to find ways and means of keeping yourself sane. And if you cannot also walk in groups, you cannot visit your friends, you cannot visit your family, you know, it's, it's something that is, um, by and large, uh, very depressing, to say the least. So I think it's a critical issue, and I think it's an issue that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, there, there, are quite, there are quite some opportunities. You just need to, I mean, people just need to be open-minded. Uh, I was glad to, to, to hear you guys are, the two of you are pharmacists. And beyond that, of course, there, there is a whole world out there of social science research. Um, so, so other than the medical field, there are, there are quite other areas where people can, can, can get into. Uh, and it's, it's, coming, it's becoming important also that we also focus on the other areas of science so that they are not left behind and, 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 not, and not to think that it's only in the medical field where, where people can focus in. So as a young scientist, uh, uh, for a young scientist, I would tell them that, you know, the world is very open and beyond the medical field, the health field, uh, there's the social science uh, areas and, and all, all other places, computer science, you know, the study of mathematics and, you know, and um, now we are even getting to things like simulation and, and even what COVID-19 has brought in terms of um, some of those uh, areas in infectious diseases where many people, many of us, you know, never used to think about. Maybe it was left for a few because it was considered perhaps an area that should only have a few. But I think the pandemics are, are also opening up uh, a couple of new areas. So it's, it's to have an open mind and to also take a path that you can always change course. Uh, one thing I have learned is that um, any path can actually lead you to a science path. It, it only depends on also how you harness and, and the linkages that you also want to, to, to have in your, in your life. Uh, as, I say, as, I, as I shared mine, you know, starting off as a teacher, but then branching off and get, becoming a scientist because of the trying to link the little pieces that you see along the life. Of course, influenced by the context, but also influenced by the wish and the passion to be able to, to help others. And I think that's the open-mindedness that I would want to tell a, a young scientist, that you should not stick to one area just because that is what you studied, but you can, along the way, you can still open up to other areas of science uh, in order for you to be able to, to link up critical areas, critical issues, uh, new problems, provide new solutions, look at things differently. And I'm sure even COVID-19 will give us new ways of even thinking 
and now it has given us a new a new reason to be able to start studying mental health that is another area of science so we just need to also be very open minded well the sky is the limit for me um so i'm still looking looking to broaden the area of girls education and perhaps um contribute more to to it from uh, a lens of gender in education so that be, uh, other than girls education what is it that we can look at in terms of the gender differences whether it now comes to looking at teachers and how they teach in the classrooms how does the element of gender play out there uh but also uh, looking at how um issues of um how children can be able to access uh, technology in the classroom but how does that differ by gender uh, of some kind so i'm i'm also of course still trying to broaden the the area of uh, also linking the work on girls education with elements of women women empowerment but also a critical area now that uh, a lot of us not only me but a lot of scientists may be looking at is how do we also um work with those adolescents who are who, who are pregnant and parenting you know you know there has been this this scenario whereby when a girl gets pregnant and drops out of school then sort of like her life ends there but i think uh, evidence is showing that those girls you know n- even need more education and if they get into back into school they can even perform as, as well as the ones that were there So how do we then work with those adolescents who have gotten pregnant and those who are parenting and ensure that there is reentry either into school or into some vocational training so that they can be able to get a second chances in school and uh, be able to um uh, achieve their life goal and of course ensure their well-being and the well-being of their children and so that those are some of the areas that um, I'm also thinking of how that could link up with the work so that the girls education is not just focusing on what is what the 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 group that is in school but then you ensure that even those who are not in school or find themselves uh, out of school for reasons that i have mentioned can be able to find their way back into school <laughs>